You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Well, good morning, everyone. And as you heard there in the video, uh, thank you so much for giving towards our Calvary Cares campaign. And we'll be getting updates again next week as well. And uh, so many awesome things that are taking place. If you weren't with us in February, uh, if you go to calvarycarescampaign.org, you can see uh, kind of all the stuff we do, or you can stop by. We have a Calvary Cares booth out in the foyer, and, uh, and you can hear a little bit. We heard about our trips today and some of our projects that we're doing, and we have different serving opportunities that are coming up, and it's just a great opportunity to give back uh, in our community and all over the world. So we're blessed for that. Uh, now, when, when uh, we're, we're kind of walking through this month, uh, a series we're calling The Safest Place on Earth, if you haven't been with us. And, and we're loosely following a book uh, written by Larry Crabb. Uh, it was originally called The Safest Place on Earth. Now he re-released it uh, a few years ago. Called, now it's called Becoming a True Spiritual Community. We have them uh, out in the foyer to purchase, or if you're a first-time guest, you can get one for free at the Connection Center. But uh, it's a great book, and uh, we've been walking through what are the components, what are the aspects that create a safe place for us to belong and to be in community. And uh, one of the words that uh, we can throw out that can kind of elicit emotional response, and there's a lot of different things, like if we say, you know, Baltimore Ravens, like there's this, this you know, elicit a response, like we get angry and frustrated and like, you know, don't like them, or, or Philadelphia Flyers, you know, we just don't like them. Pittsburgh Pirates, I mean, just, I get this like emotional thing coming up with me. They're doing good this year, but... Um, uh, one, one of the things, one of the words that we can throw out that oftentimes brings a lot of emotion is the word control. Like when you hear the word control, for most of us, there's like this emotional response, maybe internally. Control, we don't like that word. Whether it be, uh, whether you're at a place to admit it or not, we love to have control and we hate to be controlled. No one should control us. We, we like to know what's happening, how it's happening, what it means for us ultimately. In fact, uh, the original sin committed by Adam and Eve was ultimately an act of control. Here, here's what it says in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter three, verse two. It says, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees and the garden, but God did say you must not eat from, fr- from fruit or eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. This is what Eve is saying. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. What's he doing? He's trying to kind of reframe what God had said, which is, just as a side note, the only tactic the enemy has isn't to create anything but to confuse us or to create an imitation of what God intended. And this is what he's doing. He's trying to to twist this lie. Verse five, he said, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. In, In other words, you will finally have control over your own life. Like the original sin was an act of control. And this is, this is, this is the, uh, the this situation. Uh, when we find control, when we have control, it calms our anxiety, it eases our fears, it, it provides us with this sense of peace because we have control. I don't know what your life is like, but in your job, with your family, with circumstances in your life, when you have control or you feel like you have control, like there's a sense of peace that comes over us. But the reality is it's a false peace. 
It's a peace that was negotiated with terms. And, and, and the terms of that peace agreement ultimately are control. We feel better when we have control. Like you feel better when you're in the driver's seat and someone else isn't. You feel better when you're in charge of something and someone else isn't. You, you feel better when, you know, I know for me, when, uh, when uh, we're doing a birthday party or something like that, if you go to someone else's and it's a chaos and you're like, oh, I'm stressed right now. I don't know what you're like, but maybe it's just me. But Paul, Paul, the apostle Paul understood this and he actually writes about this tension. This tension that we oftentimes experience between control and trusting God. And, and he writes to the church in Philippi, in the book of Philippians, chapter four, verse six. Here's what he said. He said, do not be anxious. Can you say anxious? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. That sounds like a, almost like a trite statement. Like, don't be so stressed, just talk to God. Like, that's just gonna fix everything, right? But that's not what Paul's writing about. Like, he's not saying, this isn't some, uh, you know, uh, just cliche he's throwing out there. He, he's talking about this meaning, meaning, and here's what he says in verse seven. He says, and the result of this, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, in other words, a peace that you can't explain, but you can relate to. It's a peace that you can't just uh, negotiate or, or earn. It's a peace that is beyond our understanding, but you know when you have it. What will it do? It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's this peace that we can all possess, but it doesn't come through our control. And there are so many things in our lives that we strive to control. The bigger question, though, is what does God ultimately intend for us? Like, what is God's intent for us regarding control? And more than that, is control a necessary part of what we're talking about this month, which is finding true spiritual community? Now, you know, in some, some religious circles, spiritual community is closely managed through strict roles, expectations, and sometimes even imposed guilt. That's how we get, quote unquote, community. Either you do it or God's gonna like light you up, okay? If you mess up, God is going to blow up your life. If, if anything goes wrong in your life, it's probably because God is getting back at you. There's a sense of guilt or the strict roles. But if, what if God's intent isn't for us to control our lives or manage the lives of those around us? What if we weren't meant and we weren't created to be ma managers, managers of our lives, but we were created to, for, to be mystics? Let me explain. A mystic is someone who experiences the awakening of spiritual passions through a regenerated heart. These are passions that are not led by our human nature or even by our interpretation of our surroundings, but they are led by the promptings and leadings of the Holy Spirit, someone that we can't control. And what if, what if instead of having a full understanding of what will happen to us or what will happen around us, what if instead uh, we, we were, weren't just trying to work harder to follow all the roles to be the best man or woman that God wants us to be? What if instead we were to hand over the keys of our life, the control of our life to someone else? Now, I don't know if you've ever jumped in the car with someone that you've never ridden with before. Never, you've never uh, had drive for you before. Uh, there's a level of anxiety and worry that's understandable when we jump in the car with someone that we've never seen drive. You know, are they safe driver? Or are they a good driver? 
will, will you get hurt? Like, what's gonna happen? Will we end up in the right destination or not? We're not sure. You know, when I was uh, going on, a, on a, a missions trip one year, we were going to Haiti. Uh, on our way back from Haiti, we had to go through the Dominican Republic because the, the, the earthquake in Haiti had, had ruined the airport there. And so we're, we took this long bus trip. It was like eight hours. And we ended up in the Dominican Republic. And, and we had to get, we had a whole team of about 15, 20 people. And we had to get from the bus station to our hotel for that night um, so we could fly out the next morning. And uh, we had this little problem. We had 15, 20 people, taxi cabs. We had to get to a certain destination. We spoke English, they spoke Spanish. You can imagine the situation. And we had to get all of these people to this hotel in one piece. But they couldn't all go at once because not all of us could fit in one taxi cab. And uh, I remember everyone's piling into these taxi cabs and I was just praying, God help us all end up in the same place. I really hope we end up at the same hotel. This could get really difficult um, if not. And we did, thank- thankfully. But, but it's stressful sometimes when you get into the car And you might not know. And this is what God's asking of us. See, Paul explains the tension that can exist between our control and the Holy Spirit's leading here in Philippians, but also he writes to the Galatian church. In Galatians chapter five, verse 16, he says this. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Listen to this, they are in conflict. Paul isn't like mincing words, he's not beating around the bush, he's saying what you want to do, like what you like to control and do in your own flesh is actually in conflict with what the Spirit of God wants to do in you and through you. He said they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. This like runs in the face of what we're told since we were little, like you can do whatever you put your mind to. And, and Paul's saying, no, you can actually do whatever you want. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, you have to understand that's a pretty meaty statement there. He's saying, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. These are, uh, some of them are Jews who had memorized the law and had, from the youngest age, been told, you have to follow the law perfectly if God's going to love you. You have to follow the law perfectly if God is going to welcome you. He's going to care for you and he's gonna take care of you and support you and forgive you. If you don't follow the law, forget it. And, and Paul is saying, wait, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. What you can control no, matter, no, no, no longer matters. In, in the Greek, that first phrase when he said, walk by the Spirit, uh, the, the, the literal translation that was written in Greek, the literal translation of those Greek words is uh, that you, you are a by role of the Spirit. By role, by, 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 by not just leading, but by role of the Spirit. In other words, Paul is challenging us to relinquish control of our lives to the Spirit of God. That sounds, you know, all good and nice here in church or for those watching church online, but when the rubber hits the road, I suspect we all might have some serious problems with this idea. Like when I meet with couples who are getting married, I talk to to them about the one thing that has to be present if a marriage is to overcome the odds and not become another statistic. And that one thing is trust. Like if you can trust your spouse, you can work through a lot of stuff. But if you lose trust, man, it's really hard. And, And in today's world, we have lost trust for everyone else around us. We are taught and told, don't trust anyone else. We live in a society where it's become expected to distrust those in authority or those in charge. 
Distrust those across the political aisle. Distrust those that are different than us. We're told that the only one person you can trust is yourself. Don't trust anybody. So we naturally keep control. We hold trust close to the vest and we lean on ourselves to find the way. There's this really powerful verse in Proverbs chapter three where uh, the wisdom of Solomon shines so brightly. And it says, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. That sounds like countercultural if I've ever heard anything. But we're told not to trust anyone so we lean in our own understanding and we keep control. But when we hold on to the control of that trust, we often think we're creating a safe community for ourselves, but we're actually creating a false sense of security. This is important because the struggle of trust can become the biggest obstacle to us experiencing true spiritual community. Not because we don't trust those around us, but because ultimately we don't trust the leading of the Holy Spirit. At best, we find ourselves managing our flesh, maybe even keeping our flesh or our natural desires or or inclinations in check. So when someone says to us or something to us that hurts us or bothers us or someone does something to us or, or behaves in a way that offends us, we produce this natural human response to it. And it's often a response that we justify as a righteous response or, or as a response of justice or natural consequence. But the question is, is it a spirit-led response? Is it being led by the spirit or is it our act of control? You see, as we talked about last week, if you were uh, with us, <clears throat> a response justified by our circumstances or what was done comes from what uh, Larry Crabb refers to as a lower room in our lives. We have a little graphic kind of sharing these two, uh, two rooms that, that Larry Crabb talks about. And he says, there's a lower room, and the lower room is a place where there's a passion for ourself, a passion for control, a passion to experience pleasure and to avoid pain, a passion to perform. Man, that, that describes most people, right? And, and, and those aren't bad things. We wouldn't say, man, you have a passion for yourself. Like these are things that you would be proud of, that most people are proud of. Like I have a passion for myself, I discover myself. Or, I have a passion for control. I have a passion to experience pleasure and, and avoid pain. You're like, yeah, you're a human being, of course. Or, I have a passion to perform. And like these aren't, the, in, in our culture and society, like these are celebrated things. But this is what the lower room is. It's a room that we have furnished ourselves. It's a room that we are most comfortable with but God has called us to a higher thing, to, a, to an upper room. And the upper room, if you see there on the graphic, is a place where there's a passion to worship, a passion to trust, a passion to grow, and ultimately a passion to obey, meaning you're led by someone else. And, and while we find ourselves naturally in this lower room, this place that's comfortable, most in tune with what feels right, God has called us to this upper room. It's a place that he has furnished for us, a place that doesn't fulfill our desire for happiness, but our ultimate desire for wholeness. You, you, you see, at our best, at our best, when we are working the hardest, we will work harder and harder and harder and control our fleshly desires, our, our, our sense of control. We put, our guard, we put guardrails in place. We try to follow the rules better. But what Paul writes here in Galatians is that we don't need more rules. We need more of the Spirit it's, it's not a greater knowledge of what God wants or expects. It's a greater measure of his spirit in us. 
We want to know more, and there's nothing wrong with that, but, but it's more of the Spirit in our lives, and practically speaking, a greater measure of the Holy Spirit in our lives and leading our lives requires this very high level of trust because we relinquish control, not just of our response, but especially the outcomes. We wanna see that person get what they deserve, and we're gonna control it all the way to make sure that happens. We wanna see certain outcomes take place, and we're gonna control it all the way to make sure that happens. But if we're led by the Spirit, he's controlling the outcomes. What that means is in those times where the snakes of the lower room rear their head, when we sense the passions of our flesh stirring in us, we don't need another reminder of what we should do or should not do. That's the act of a manager. Now we are called to be mystics. We need more of the one thing we can't control. That's the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. It's as the Spirit of God is poured into our lives that our lives begin to produce what no level of control can produce. It's something that only the Holy Spirit can produce, the life of Jesus flowing out of us. We can't legislate, we can't reprimand, we can't require enough of you to see the life of Jesus come out of you. Only the Spirit of God can produce that. In the end, here's the deal. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, true spiritual community, the goal isn't to follow all the roles. That might sound really foreign to you. I grew up learning all the roles and following the roles and being told I have to follow the roles. That's a normal thing in church. But the goal for us isn't to follow the roles. The goal for us isn't to be perfect. Paul even writes, like, he followed the rules. He grew up in the home of a Pharisee, which was a Jewish religious leader. And, 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 and he learned from a young age, this is, these are the rules and you follow them. And, and, and he actually writes, he followed them perfectly, meaning he didn't break a single one. That's incredible. That's a remarkable sense of discipline in his life. He said, I followed all of them, but all of that is for naught. Like, it's, it's pointless compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. To see the life of Jesus flow out of our lives... We can't follow all the rules. I'm not saying we like abandon the rules and we live in anarchy. But the goal isn't to follow the rules. The goal is to be led by the Spirit. And the Spirit of God produces something entirely different than rules can. The foundation and unmistakable component of any true spiritual community isn't a group that follows the rules strictly or perfectly. It's a group that is fully led by the Spirit of God. I don't know your, your experience with church or church people, Christians. I've been in church my entire life. I'm, you know, a little older than 25, somewhere above that. Um, and uh, I've been around a lot of church people. And you know when things go south with church people or Christians, it oftentimes is around following the rules more strictly. And, and people act and respond in certain ways that they justify as I'm just trying to keep people following the rules more strictly. But true healthy community isn't found with those who follow the rules more strictly. True spiritual community, like healthy community, healthy relationships, healthy interactions happen when people are being led by the spirit of God. Why? Because the Spirit of God is producing the life of Jesus in us. What, what, what does that mean? 
That, that means that we see the fruits of the Spirit that Paul writes about in Galatians, the love and joy and peace and patience. Like you see those things naturally coming out, which those don't naturally come out of our lives. We start to see the humility of Jesus flowing out of our words and our responses. We start to see the forgiveness of Jesus uh, being exercised when people wrong us or offend us. Like that's a remarkable picture of spiritual community. That's a remarkable picture of what Jesus actually intends for us to be. You, you've probably heard the famous quote uh, that's attributed to, to Gandhi. He said, uh, I love your Christ, I just don't like your church because your church looks nothing like your Christ. And, and he said that years ago, supposedly, not because people were following uh, the rules better, it's because they weren't being led by the Spirit. They, they didn't see the life of Jesus flowing out of them. Man, that's what God's asked of us. In, in, in Irwin, in Westmoreland County, across the city of Pittsburgh, man, if there was one thing that I would hope people would see in us, see in our church, see in those who are connected to our church at, here at Calvary, it's not that, man, those people follow the rules really well. Like, they are strict on the rules. They do not miss it once. They are perfect. No, I hope that's not what people say about us. Not that we are, you know, the, the, the worst people in the world. Man, my hope is that when people see us, they say, man, I see Jesus on them. You know, when, when Peter and John, they were arrested for doing something supernatural, really being a conduit of the supernatural. In the book of Acts chapter three, uh, they encounter, Peter and John are going to the temple courts, they're doing their religious duty kind of as Jews, they prayed at the temple a few times a day and they're, they're, in their afternoon prayer time, they're walking to the temple courts and there's this man who's begging for money but he can't walk, he's lame. Uh, and he's been crippled or paralyzed for many years and and. and and he's just begging for money. That's the only way he could make money. And, and Peter sees him and immediately the Holy Spirit prompts him. And, and Peter says, hey, man, I don't have any money. I don't have anything to give you. But what I do have, I'm gonna give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. And the man's instantly healed. Like this remarkable moment. And, and it was just this supernatural thing that, that Peter literally was part of healing this man and the power of God flowing through him. And, and he gets arrested for doing that. Crazy. That's what happens when you're in a religious world. You get arrested for doing the good things, right? And, and he gets arrested and he's standing before the religious leaders, him and John, and, and, and these are the, the, the men who called the shots. These are the same men that uh, ended up getting Jesus crucified. So these are some guys who had a lot of authority and power. And, and they're standing before them. And, and in Acts chapter four, there's this amazing statement that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he records. This one line that is just mind-blowing. It says, they took note that these men, these uneducated men, had been with Jesus. Like, there was something about them that they saw the life of Jesus flowing out of them. Not that they followed all the rules strictly. And if there's anything that we could be known for, it's not that we follow the rules. It's not that we're perfect. It's that we have Jesus flowing through us. And we can't produce that. We can't work hard enough to do that. We, we can't, you know, uh, just make that happen. It's the spirit of God transforming us from the inside that produces that. We put so much energy and time sometimes into following the rules and being perfect. But if we could just put that same amount of energy into pursuing the heart of God and, and, and cultivating the spirit of God in our hearts, we would have an entirely different situation on our hands. This is the foundation of unmistakable spiritual community. And, and you know, these types of things, it's easy to agree 
with here and to say amen and to be like, yeah, I agree with that. But it's really about how you respond out there, how you are led by the spirit out there. Like that's where it really happens. The safest place on earth. This spiritual community we're talking about this month is something that is built on a very clear goal and objective. It's not a goal of achieving a better sense of community. That's not even it. It's the goal of becoming a greater reflection or picture of Jesus. The the secret sauce of spiritual community is that it's not even about community at all. It's actually about discipleship. It's actually about being transformed from the inside out into a child of God, into a reflection of Jesus and who Jesus was. This approach frames our, our offenses, our setbacks and our struggles in an entirely different light. It's because it becomes less about overcoming, less about conquering or defeating something in our lives. Those are all acts of control. No, spiritual community and the goal of discipleship are more about surrender and giving up control, not gaining control. You see, we will find ourselves in the most fulfilling, the most life-giving relationships that you've ever known when we can experience the Spirit's leading. You will experience the greatest sense of community this side of heaven Not when you get a group of people together working harder and harder to make themselves better or overcome what's holding them back. No, no, no. It's when a group of people are willing to give up control and allow the Holy Spirit to infuse them with the character, life, and power of Jesus in their their experience, in their life, and and in their their behaviors, and in their words, and their responses. The question, though, is how exactly does that happen? You know, it's really easy to stand up here and to tell you, you know, this is what you do and this is what you don't do and, and let's just do it and then we go home and, and, and nothing changes. I, I don't have time. I, I don't think it's worth your time to just sell, stand up here and talk about things that you're not going to do. So uh, this is a really cool idea. Being a mystic sounds really good, but it's almost abstract and can, be, can seem almost unachievable. So, so what does this look like? It's, it's not achieved through more Bible study. It's not through watching more teachers or preachers telling you what the Bible says. Those things obviously aren't bad and they're not wrong, but when those lower room tendencies pop up, like your human flesh is, is, is coming up, when the natural desire to control rears its head, when our reaction or response seeks to honor us instead of Jesus, Diving deeper into a knowledge of God's word isn't going to change ultimately what needs to be changed. Because in the end, if you know more, you're just changing up here, right? We have plenty of people who know the right things. God isn't trying to change up here. He's trying to change down here, your heart. Out of the heart, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We can sit here and and talk about all kinds of things that we know, It's not about knowing more, it's about being changed into Jesus more and allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through us. This is so different than maybe what you've learned before. This is because the Holy Spirit has this unique ability to minister to our soul and to transform the deepest parts of our being. Head knowledge is valuable, but head knowledge alone 
in the end doesn't change us. It requires a change of our hearts, which only the spirit of God can do. As the worship team comes this morning, you know, we relinquish our title of manager and our tendency to control when we position ourselves in the center of God's presence through worship and prayer. We've all grown up maybe in different ways. Maybe church was like something that was the furthest thing from you. Maybe you grew up in the church. I don't, I don't know what your experience is like. But oftentimes we have adopted this posture of prayer that it's really a matter of religious practice. That prayer is something you recite. Prayer is something you say. Maybe sometimes when you're praying, you feel this pressure to use these and thous. Like you never use these and thous. If you do use these and thous, like in regular conversation, I would love to meet you. You would be one of the most fascinating people I've ever met. Um, I hated Shakespeare in school. Um, I wouldn't say I would hate you. I would just be fascinated to listen. We don't use those types of words, right? Like prayer isn't about something you just show off to God you recite or you do out of obligation. Worship isn't something we just like go through and, and, and sing a song or we just do the right things. In the end, worship and prayer are about positioning ourselves in the center of God's presence. One of our values as a church is that we start by seeking God through his word and his spirit. This is why we start every service on a Sunday with worship. Because in, this, in the presence of God, through worship and through prayer, what we're doing is we are emptying ourselves of what the flesh desires and longs for. And we fill ourselves with what the spirit desires and what only God ultimately can produce in us. As Christians, we have too often replaced the experience of the spirit with simply our knowledge of God. And this can be a dangerous approach because we end up ultimately with head knowledge that isn't backed up by an experience of the spirit regenerating or transforming our hearts. When our head knowledge outpaces our heart change, we become super religious people. Some might even call us hypocrites. Head knowledge without heart change creates a sense of religious pride at best, but at worst, hypocrisy. So in those moments, in those moments when you experience an offense, when, where, where you realize that you are trying harder and harder to control what's around us or in us. Let's take this practice and lesson from the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter four. He said, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What would, what would our lives look like if we were willing to create space for the Spirit of God to change us? In our work day, at home, that doesn't mean like we, you know, bring in a whole worship team to your, you know, lunch break room and you have like a worship service every day just to like, man, Susie, she, she really came after me today and I am so angry at her. I need to go into that worship service at lunch break and like, I'm not so I'm talking about. I'm saying, what if we could cultivate the spirit and presence of God in our everyday lives? Well, we could recognize those moments where the warning lights go off and, it, and we realize, it's, man, it's more of me trying to control. It's less, less of the spirit leading me. 
how can I, how can I, how can I let go once again? Because surrender isn't a one-time thing, it's an ongoing thing. How can I allow the Spirit of God to transform me? See, how can we block out time to worship Jesus? How can we create that as a rhythm in our lives? That might sound incredibly elementary to you, but it's something that Jesus modeled in his life. When his flesh was weak, when he was facing chaotic circumstances around him, which he faced a lot of times, rather than doubling down on, the, on his controls or his behaviors, he would create space to be with God. Read it throughout the gospels. Over and over and over again, Jesus would retreat. He would retreat. He would retreat. You might not be able to retreat your circumstance all the time, just run away. That's what I'm talking about. But can you create space? Even though Jesus was the physical embodiment and representation of God, he knew that the flesh and his human tendency to control would take him down a dangerous path if he didn't infuse himself with the spirit of God. Today, today, let's take time not to learn more, not to know more or control more. Let's take time to surrender our control to worship Jesus, to focus on what God ultimately longs for us to experience, which is his spirit, a taste of heaven here on earth, to experience his power and presence, to build our lives around that, not around getting everything right and perfect, but allowing the spirit to lead us. If you're a control freak, which I think a lot of us are, that is the worst thing you could ever hear on a Sunday morning. And you're like, man, I picked the wrong day. I should not have come today. I'm not trying to make you feel good. I'm sorry. If, if, if you do, crumble cookies like right up the street, you will feel like a million bucks right when you eat it. Maybe not a little later, but like right when you eat it. I wanna help you become more like Jesus. That when people see you, they don't see a perfect person. They see a transformed person. They see this unmistakable trait in your life. It's the love of Jesus. It's the character of Jesus flowing out of you. It's not something you can produce. It's only something the Spirit of God can produce. Would you stand with me this morning? Before we go, I think it's always better when we can practice what we're talking about. Let's take time to practice this. We have, to, we have a little time here. I, I know there are things that are heavy on your mind and your shoulders. There are things you're stressing about. There are things you're working really hard to make right. There are things that, that, that you feel the pressure to control because you own the outcomes. Maybe it's in your job and you're expected to own the outcomes. Maybe it's in your family and, and you wanna see your kids or your marriage or, or your circumstances better. And you are working really hard to control it. And, 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 and your intent is really good and it's right, it's not bad. What I'm saying is it's not just about intent. If you could let the Spirit of God lead you, I bet you he could lead you in a way that you never would have imagined if you had control. Because this might be hard to believe, but the Spirit of God is the greatest creative force in the universe. And this Spirit of God can come up with solutions that you could never imagine on your own. If we can allow the Spirit of God to lead us, we can see the life, character, and love of Jesus flow out of us. Let's take a few moments here this morning and do that. Push everything else aside, all the distractions, all the things that are weighing on your mind. What if we could just focus on him 
and what he can do in our lives. If you feel comfortable just putting your hands in front of you this morning, God, we come before you. And God, in these few moments we have, Lord, I pray you would move, remove every obstacle, every barrier, Lord, every distraction. Lord, in these brief few moments that we could just be with Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would infuse us with power and direction, with peace that we can't explain. God, we surrender everything to you this morning. God, for those in the shelters, Lord, those watching online, I pray, Lord, you would help us, Lord, to experience a peace that is beyond understanding this morning as we worship you. Jesus, meet us in this place this morning. Holy Spirit, move in us, I pray. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 